0: All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Ah, guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for
1: the end zone and it's caught.
0: First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be
1: gone by the time they pick it 50. We are here for another edition of First Draft. It is Monday, February 21st. I am Field Yates, and as always, we are live from about 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thanks for everybody who's watching us, whether it's on the ESPN Twitter channel, whether it's the ESPN's YouTube channel, Facebook, the ESPN app, you name it. We are here to aim, to please, of course. I'm here every week with Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay, the two men who know the NFL Draft better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, they know more about the 2025 NFL Draft than I do the 2022 NFL Draft. And 2025 will feature guys who are still in high school right now. And on today's show, we're going to something fun. And Todd, it is your day to hear it from the Internet, as last week... You had your second mock draft. We had a great mock draft special show. For those that may have missed it, you can go find it hopefully on ESPN Plus right now. And here's how things go, Todd. You do your mock drafts, you submit it, you probably feel pretty good about it, and then it goes out there to the internet. What is a typical morning after your mock draft like for you based off all the crowd reactions and fans from various
2: corners of the NFL map? It's like sitting next to Kuyper in his living room as I'm writing out the, the mock draft picks. That's basically it. I, I learned a long time ago not to look at a lot of the comments, but sometimes they just pop up, and, and I have a blast with it. Typically, it starts with Todd McShay is such an idiot, and then they'll, they'll go in and explain why I'm such an idiot, you know? But, um, but no, it, it always gets a great response, positive or negative, typically more negative. But, uh, but team, I mean, if you're an NFL fan, you want to see potentially who they're going to pick and I try to explain too like it's not just definitively this guy it could be you know if it's not Aiden Hutchinson it could be Kyle Hamilton and so on and so forth so the explanations I don't think get read as much as just the pick but at the end of the day it's, it's a lot of fun and it's, it's preparing me and hopefully preparing a lot of the, the fans of teams for, for the upcoming draft in April.
1: I wonder if maybe one day, Mel, wouldn't you just love it if Todd handled all the mock drafts for ESPN? You got to just analyze his picks and rather than doing your own.
0: I loved our Sports Center special last week to just be able to take shots and have fun with a couple lines here and there, not have to do the heavy lifting. So, yeah, it would be fun to just critique McShea uh, all day, every day, uh, every month of the year. We'd have to do this podcast once a day for 365 days a year. So it would be fun to do that. But he's going to get his shot. Actually, in a, in a week or two, when I have Mock 2.0 coming out, Todd. So, and one thing I want to explain to everybody listening, we don't look at each. We kid around about We never look at each other's mocks. Mm. But in fact, the first time I see it is when my guy Dane Beaver sends it to me, like the night before we're doing a show, and say, here's Todd's mock to, to go over to see you know, which you like, which you don't. And I'm sure Todd does the same with mine. So we don't see these things till the end. We make our own decisions separately. That's why we have so much fun arguing back and forth, because our, our, our opinions, our analysis are completely independent. Um, obviously, nobody has a, an opinion like mine. It's so whacked out and so crazy sometimes, but uh, nobody wants to try to be me. But uh, or <laughs> sometimes
1: you can admit Jay,
0: But, uh, we, do, but we, do our, we do our analysis separately, independently, and we both have, both have different ways of evaluating players.
1: You know, I don't want to sound like the angry Young at the Clouds guy here for a second, but I remember, like, I literally grew up as a huge fan of the NFL draft, uh, a little earlier uh, than Todd McShay's initial mock drafts. But, like, I grew up reading Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock drafts for years, and then eventually Todd's as well, and they were a source of excitement, entertainment. Like, I understood that what your picks were were not stone-cold locks, but they were hypotheticals. And as a fan, or even if I just liked the draft process in general, it was the idea of envisioning the marriage between the prospects and the teams. So I hope people find that mock drafts are informative, but they can also be a source of entertainment as opposed to a source of frustration. So what we're going to do is invite those. Well, you know
2: what I found out, Field? What's that, Todd? I found out early in my career, just talking to friends in the league, you know, because everyone makes all your friends in the league make fun of you for, for your mock draft, just like Kuiper makes fun of mine, and I make fun of Mel's, right? But I found out early on, like my first year or two, that that just about everyone in the league that I've, I've talked to, they do their own mock drafts yeah. too. It's part of their preparation. Is uh, you know, they're not sitting down for five hours and and trying to you know put it up online, obviously, but they're doing it to try to get a sense. And even Bill Polian told us that he would take Mel's. Mock, my mock. I think Daniel Jeremiah and th- you know, three or four other people, and kind of have his his analytics people merge them together to figure out a range where we're hearing where a player could go. So if they were interested in a trade or trading back, a, a, you know, four or five spots potentially based off the information we're getting could that player still be available if they move back five spots that they wanted to get, let's say four or five spots higher. So that was interesting to me early in my career to, to find out that NFL teams go through this process too. And and it's, it's educational preparing for the draft to kind of go through. All right, we know who the the board is and, and the players that I like, but now let's look at the teams and their needs and their, their draft history and what they typically hit on and so forth.
1: Really a fun process. Let's enjoy it. And along those lines, what we're gonna do is not one through 32 pick by pick, but because Todd's mock is still fresh enough, we're gonna look at the top 10, Todd, and I'm gonna let you sort of just start reading your top 10 picks. And this year is different than other years because there's so much uncertainty, really, at every slot. And we'll let Mel jump in and either take you to task or say, I totally agree, or somewhere in between. And maybe like let us peel the curtain back a little bit on what was going through your mind as you were making these selections. Obviously, Jacksonville on the clock to begin things, and you bucked the trend of two pass rushes at the top. Instead, we have an offensive line.
2: Yeah, I went with Evan Neal going to Jacksonville at the number one spot. And you look, you, you look at it last year, I think – Jacksonville only had 30 sacks. Aiden Hutchinson, certainly the Michigan defensive end, certainly in in play here for that number one pick. But I kind of looked at it with Doug Peterson coming in, thinking he wanted the Super Bowl with an elite offensive line in in Philadelphia. And Evan Neal, 360-plus pounds with his movement skills, his length, His dominance in the run game, he gave up just one sack this last year. He's improved so much in that regard. He can play left tackle. He played right tackle the previous year in 2020. Played guard in in 2019. So there's some positional versatility if you need it. And and certainly they they need a lot of help on the offensive side. And you've got the investment that you have to protect in Trevor Lawrence. So I wound up going with Evan Neal at that number one spot. But again, Hutchinson, to me, made a lot of sense. And then if Neil goes one, and Mel, I'll rip through the first three picks here, and then we can kind of reset, and you can tell me where you might have gone differently or, or other guys that you want to jump in on, but Detroit then is picking it two. And Aiden Hutchinson obviously played at Michigan, has nothing to do with you know, the hometown team, and yes, that would be an added benefit. It's all about what Hutchinson has put on tape especially this past year, setting a Michigan record with 14 sacks. You watch him pre-snap, and he's, he's pointing out to Ojabo, like, hey, hey, we got this, 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 and, and they'll, they'll shift a little bit. And all of a sudden, he'll be like, run your side. He'll come off the edge and, and, and work to the, the backside. And, and nine out of ten times, he's right with what he saw on tape and transferring it to the field. Then his mechanics, tying his feet and his hands together as a pass rusher. He's a freak, and he's going to work out really well at the Combine. People don't think he's that athletic. I see there's some tightness in him, but his explosive numbers, his 40-time, his vertical jump, broad jump, those things are going to be outstanding. I think if it's not one, it's very likely to be number two to Detroit. And so if that's the case, if Hutchinson does wind up going, and you see the the numbers there, 6'6", 270, we'll get the official numbers at the Combine with the 14 sacks this past season – But if, if it's, if it's Hutchinson at two after Evan Neal at one, then Houston's sitting there at number three. And I I think that one's really interesting because the best player on my board is Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. Yes, he had an injury cut, cut into about half of his season this past year. But when you're Nick uh, Cesario and you're trying to, to get foundation pieces, if you will, guys that can come in with leadership. And can, and can provide that, that difference-making on the defensive side. Kyle Hamilton just made a lot of sense to me. And I know they could go, they could go edge rusher. Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon would be a possibility here. They could go offensive line. Um, Ikim Ekwanu from NC State would make sense as well. But I just love Hamilton's game. And I think the fact that they could bring him in with his length and his range and his his ball skills, the production he's had with interceptions and uh, passes bad down over the last few years at Notre Dame, I think he's a special player and he's different. And in a league where we're seeing so much more in the middle of the field with tight ends and bigger receivers in the slot, he would be a great matchup counter, if you will, for some of those guys in the middle. So those are my three picks, Kite. I'm wondering where you would have gone uh, different, uh, uh, or, or you know what you would have yeah. looked to
0: do. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going to be fascinating at the top. If Jacksonville would have had the work perfectly, there would be a quarterback that, like a Bryce Young from Alabama or CJ Stroud, Ohio State, that was coming off a phenomenal year and was going to be the guaranteed number one pick. And we can have all these teams looking to trade up to get one of those two quarterbacks. Like it may end up being next year with Young and Stroud in that draft, but they're not in this draft. So that hurts Jacksonville. They can't trade out of there. They got their franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Now, do you protect him? Obviously, the offensive line for Jacksonville, poor. You lose Robinson. You think out of situation at right tackle. Do you take Evan Neal, who's played left end, right end, guard? Do you take Ika McWane, who some think is as good or better than Neal, okay, out of NC State? Or do you take the pass rusher in Aiden Hutchinson, who's moved ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau? You need a pass rusher. Josh Allen coming on, right? He's shown flashes of brilliance at times coming off the edge, but you want to see more consistency week in and week out. So if you have Allen with Hutchinson, and you're in the AFC, and we've chronicled all the great quarterbacks in this conference, the teams that you're going to have to beat, even if Trevor develops in this great quarterback we think he will be, okay, you still got to be able to get after Josh Allen, after Patrick Mahomes, after Justin Herbert, and the list goes on and on and on, right? So I think that's the debate. Is it Hutchinson, or is it one of the tackles? Trading out's really not an option. You go to two I think Hutchinson would be the guy. Detroit, the Lions, that's exactly what they need. And that would be perfect if Jacksonville goes Neal or Aquanu, and they can take Hutchinson at two. Houston... Yeah, the safety that high, I love Kyle Hamilton. I'm with you on that, Todd. I just don't know if Kayvon Thibodeau, how he things work out between now and late April, do you take the pass rusher over the versatile defensive back safety? Uh, that'll be fun to see as well for Houston. But I think for Jacksonville, it's just you, you wish you were a year later. You wish you would have the Bryce Young or the C.J. Stroud in this draft. They don't. They're going to be stuck at one probably. And it's going to be really fun to see. With the Bengals last year, they took the uh, the receiver over the offensive line, knowing they need a desperately offensive line help. What does Jacksonville do? do? they help Lawrence, or do they take the pass rusher to get after those young quarterbacks? That's going to be really fun to see how that all plays out.
1: So much uncertainty. As we move to picks four, five, and six, one quick note. I know uh, Todd mentioned this, and I, for viewers that are really into the combine, they may jump down our throats and say, what do you mean the guys are going to work out? Because as of this conversation, there are, there's a possibility that players – represented by certain agencies are not going to participate in the NFL's on-field drills and some of like the weight room stuff because uh, there's concern of the fact that the NFL is currently planning to bubble players during the combine meaning they will not have access to their physical therapists and the trainers that they have been working with since their college seasons were over up until the combine begins On March 1st, we're hopeful that between the time this conversation takes place and when the combine begins on March 1st, that there's some sort of resolution there because while it's not imperative for every player to work out, we've seen guys get drafted number one overall with hardly at all, hardly having any pre-draft process, period. Uh, Certainly, it's good context for us as we are evaluating these players and even more so for the teams that are responsible for investing in them. Let's move on to picks four, five, and six, Todd, and the Jets have their first of two top ten picks. After that master stroke Jamal Adams trade that we discussed on last week's show, where do they go it for
2: it? I went with Eke McQuanu, the NC state offensive tackle here. And listen, Joe Douglas is a former offensive lineman at Richmond and, and he wants to continue to bolster up that offensive line. With Zach Wilson, a the quarterback, they need to protect better. I thought they did a good job last year kind of patching together the offensive line, and, and we saw improvement, and we saw Wilson start to play a little bit better towards the end of the year. You also have Michael Carter at the running back position, and, and that's going to help a, a young quarterback as well as you increase the run game with Carter and then maybe a, a big guy in Kwan, who I think is the most Physically dominating uh, offensive lineman in this class. I mean, I, I said last week, just just give me thirty minutes of his highlight reel of pancakes, one after another. <laughs> give me some popcorn, and, and I I'll just laugh the whole way through. You know, I just I think he's he's that kind of player. So I had some, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau still on the board, and, and I thought about that for for the Jets there, uh, but I, I went with Iquanu thinking let's get let's take care of this offensive line once and for all, and then we can move forward and, and look at some of the other needs that the Jets have uh, you know, at the edge position and on the, on the defensive side as well. So uh, that's where I went at number four. Number five, the Giants, first of two picks in the top ten this year. I wound up giving them Kayvon Thibodeau, who fell a little bit from my first mock draft. And Thibodeau, listen, it, it's what I see on tape, and when I talk to you guys, I, I said this before, at the Senior Bowl in the league who are evaluating players Kind of the same feeling. Like, yeah, he's a great player. There's no question. I, pound for pound, or not even pound for pound, just bottom line, he may be the most talented player in this draft. He was the most talented high school recruit. He came into Oregon, and when he was on the field, and when he was healthy, and when he was dialed in, this guy's special. He's long. He's powerful. And he can work through blockers, as you see there, getting to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he's, I think, the second most um, pressures of any player in, in the FBS this past year. So there's no question he's got the talent, but the tape's a little bit up and down. But you get him at five when you think he's going to be off the board at maybe one or two just a a few weeks ago or a month ago. The Giants, Giants, to me, yes, they have offensive line needs. They have uh, needs at linebacker. But Thibodeau would be a a great player and obviously a a good value at that spot if you're the Giants thinking that he would have been gone. And then the Panthers at six to kind of round it off with three to six. I went with the Panthers going with Sauce Gardner, the cornerback from from Cincinnati. It's hard to find a six-foot-three guy with his length and his press man coverage skills. He was in press man over 85% of the time this past year, and he never allowed more than 13 receiving yards in a single game. Think about that. Like no receiver lined up against this guy or a combination of receivers lined up against this guy and had more than 13 yards in a game. Mm. I mean, he was like the college version of Dion. He Just take away my side of the field. You guys worry about the rest. And so whether it's, whether it's Gardner or Derek Stingley from, from LSU, these two cornerbacks I think are going to be special at the next level. But I wound up giving the Panthers Gardner there, even though corner is not a big need for them. I just want value over, over positional need. And certainly they need offensive line help. I get it. There are some other areas they need. What are are they going to do with quarterback moving forward? Are they going to try to trade back or reach for a quarterback here? Are they going to get that done in free agency? So a lot of questions with Carolina. But at this point, and again, it's early, but at this point, I just gave him the best player on the board, and that was Sauce Gardner.
0: Yeah, I think what really complicates this whole draft process was the COVID year 2020, and then what happened this year with, say, a Derek Stingley Jr. Mm. And then you look at what these teams need and what's out there, and you don't want to force it and say, well, we have to yeah, most of these teams have three, four, five need areas. So I think if you go to you – go, you're going to the Jets with these combo picks, Todd, the Jets and Giants. So you figure, okay, the first pick, if we go here, who can still be there with the next pick? The Giants and the Jets. If You go Jets first – Mikai Becton what kind of player is he going to become a great left tackle was he what's the future of Mikai Becton with the Jets that's going to dictate a lot in terms of do you take Equanu if he's available at that particular point which is debatable even right now they could certainly the Jets use a Kyle Hamilton okay so that would make sense at that point for the Jets the Giants you think about where they are with those combo picks you have Andrew Thomas at left tackle making some progress, okay? So that, But you have other neat areas. There's a receiver, Drake London, out of USC. is going to be intriguing, I think, for the Jets at that 10 spot. So they could go safety receiver. They could go O-line. You have pass rusher like David Ojabo from Michigan in this mix. Todd had him dropping. We'll get to that in a little bit as to why that happened in this Mach 1.0. Then, then you go to 2.0. Then you go to Carolina. The quarterback that Todd mentioned, do you take the quarterback and reach for a Kenny Pickett, a Malik Willis, or a, a guy like Matt Corral, or do you take the you know, lineman, the corner? What do you do there? They took a corner in J.C. Horn last year. Do you come back with Sauce Gardner over Derek Stingley Jr., who hasn't done much since 2019 when he was great? He's going to be the most, uh, I think, the most polarizing figure in this draft in mm. terms of how you or, – or the toughest – The most mysterious, I guess, Todd, to a certain extent, is Derek Stingley Jr. How the heck can you come to a a conclusion on Stingley Jr. when 2019 he was great, 2020, 2021 didn't go the way you would have hoped. So what do you do? Do you take Sauce Gardner over him when he looked like he was going to be a lockdown elite corner back in 2019? I think that's going to dictate a lot about what happens here because the Jets have three young corners that they like. Okay? So do they need to take a corner like Stingley at 10? Do they need or, or pass and take, say, a Drake London, a big receiver, which is what they really need? They got some smaller guys. They could use a Drake London, but he's coming off an injury. and he played in the eight games. So there's going to be a lot of work to do for these teams and these players, guys, between now and late April, to define, number one, should they be in the top ten? And then for need areas with free agency so critical coming up, uh, we're so early in the process. Trying Mm -hmm. to make heads or tails out of this
1: top ten is is not easy, guys. That's right. Always, always worth reminding people the draft takes place after free agency, which can reshape a team's roster and roster needs. As a result of that, Todd, let's finish off the top ten, seven through ten, which includes the Giants. On the clock once again, this pick via the Chicago Bears and the Justin Fields trade. Let's go from seven with the Giants to ten, the Jets.
2: Yeah, so we already, if we're the Giants, we, we got Thibodeau at number five and, and feel like we, we got a great edge rusher. Now let's go to the other, off, the other line on the offensive side of the ball, Charles Cross from Mississippi State. You know, you, you look at this line, and Mel mentioned it. It's Andrew Thomas came on, and, and I think that they have one of their tackles. But you still, if, if you're all in with a new head coach and GM, Daniel Jones, then you've got to be able to make sure that you protect him better. That's part of it. They were 30th the Giants were in pass block win rate according to ESPN Stats and Info. So, bring in Charles Cross, and while I think it's a little bit high for him, I'm just going to say it, he had 683 pass block snaps last year and gave up just one pressure, and that Mike Leach pass-happy offense. So, in the SEC, that many snaps as a pass protector, and only one pressure allowed, one sack. I guess the numbers are different here, but from what I read, bottom line is he was outstanding in pass protection. 6'5", 310 pounds. So, to me, the Giants then basically upgrade both of their lines with Thibodeau and Cross. And after that, you mentioned Drake London for the Jets. That would be a great pick, Mel. But I had him going a little bit earlier. I had him going number eight to Atlanta. And Drake London's fascinating to me. And and I'll say this, too. Jamison Williams from Alabama would have been the first receiver off the board had it not been the the knee injury that he suffered in the national championship game. So then it becomes Drake London stepping up as that that number one guy. And, yes, he's coming off the injury. But when he was on the field healthy for the Trojans this past year and I guess not a lot of people got to see him because it's the West Coast the Pac12 and USC didn't have a great year but he's unbelievable. I mean 6-5 with oily hips looking you see him after the catch. You don't see many 6-5 guys that create and break ankles the way he does after the catch. And he was number one in the country in contested catches. So big-time threat in terms of mismatches with size and in the red zone. That basketball background, you see it over and over on tape. And then you obviously with Kyle Pitts, you've got your your big-time other target at the tight end spot. But Calvin Ridley coming off the issues with the mental health, is he still going to be with the team? What's his future look like? I think Drake London would make a lot of sense. And then the Falcons with Matt Ryan this year – look to the quarterback position a year from now. After that, I had the Broncos at number nine going Devin Lloyd from Utah. And again, the Broncos, like the Falcons and like the Panthers at six, could be in the market for a quarterback. We don't know what's going to happen. And Field just mentioned it. Quarterback in free agency and the trade market, more importantly this year, with Deshaun Watson and with uh, Russell Wilson and with Aaron Rodgers and now Jimmy Garoppolo, the rumors about him possibly going to Washington and Pittsburgh. There's a lot to shake out. But as of right now, I just went with best player to a position of need. Devin Lloyd is outstanding mm. in terms of his preparation for the game, his fast eyes. Saw the pick six there, a huge moment again. in, that, in that one of the two Oregon games this past year. He's excellent. He, I think he had eight sacks, was it? Uh, this, this past year and, and four interceptions. I mean, you don't get many off-the-ball linebackers that have that sack and interception production. So, And again, he would be the quarterback of that defense. So if they, they wind up going there at number nine, then I had the Jets picking at number 10. And you've got a cornerback in Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU who Mel just talked about. I think he's phenomenal. I think in the last two years had everything to do with a couple injuries. He missed three games in 2020 and 10 games this past year. And also the situation at LSU. You come off arguably the best team in the history of college football in 2019. And all of a sudden, everyone's gone. It's a mess in terms of leadership with what went on with the coaching staff. And I think Stingley, I don't want to say he mailed it in. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, what what is it that I'm going out to to play injured for? And so that's, I think, what happened with him. And I think Stingley could wind up being the best corner in this draft. And it won't shock me five years from now if Derek Stingley's the best player from the 2022 draft. So when you're sitting there in the Jets, and yes, we have three young corners we like, but none of them's Derek Stingley, the tape that I studied from 2019.
0: I like motivated players. I like guys that find a reason to have an edge, a chip, whatever. It it just motivates you more. And and football is a game of emotion and motivation and and proving people wrong. And a lot of these guys, via the draft, that they come in later, they play with that their whole career. I thought about Tom Brady and a lot of others, right? So I think when Tavon Thibodeau, if he drops, maybe you get humbled a bit. You're, you come out number one out of high school. You read all those press clippings. And all of a sudden, you're at five in mocks. And that, that could motivate you. Derek Stingley Jr., if he's at 10, he's the sixth highest rated player on my board. That's going to motivate him. So maybe Stingley Jr., Thibodeau, some of these guys drop a little bit further. As I say, the COVID year, tremendously tough to evaluate. This year, off the COVID year, with COVID still a factor, with injuries and the attitude of players that don't want to get hurt, they're dealing with COVID still. It's a lot one on these last two years in the evaluation process. In terms of the teams, Atlanta, at eight to me, is the most interesting because they didn't take the quarterback last year. They went for Kyle Pitts, the receiving entity. Now they get another receiver in Drake London and Todd's mock, but you're <coughs> passing on the quarterback, and I can see why you'd be reaching. But somebody always does. They always stretch it for these quarterbacks, reach for a guy that's maybe 20 on the board. They take him in the top 10 to 12, Atlanta at 8. What do they do? And uh, I think mean, London would be a really good pick. Uh, you know, if Matt Ryan's there, sure, you'd like to help him with another receiver. But the heir apparent to Matt Ryan, if they fall in love with a picket, a Willis, or a Corral between now and late April, they would certainly be a team to watch I'm I'm glad to see, Todd, Devin Lloyd. I loved him all year. He's eighth on the big board. Loved the kid. His all-around ability is phenomenal. Uh, I can see what he, doing what him doing what Devin White's doing down in Tampa Bay. So, uh, Devin Lloyd's a great pick in the top ten for somebody. You have not going to Denver. I have no issue with that at all.
1: We're going to continue on past the top ten picks, and eventually we're going to get through some of the more notable ones in the last 22 picks of the draft. But Before we do that, we wanted to make sure that Mel had the opportunity to grade Todd's mock draft after five days of really thinking about it. But, but Mel, before we ask you for your answer, just a reminder of the grade that Todd gave you when you released a recent mock draft not too long ago.
2: Well, listen, Mel's my guy, so I'm not going to give him anywhere in that failing range with an F or a D. But I I thought it was a nice start. It was cute. You know, he, he had most of the players on there that I would have. Not all. We can get into that. But I'll give him a C minus, minus, minus. I mean, that's still, you're not you're not getting a D, Kuyper. And let's face it, Kuyper, with all these grades, every every team you grade in the, in the draft at the end of the year, it's it's A minus to, to C minus. So you never give out that D and F, and you rarely give out an A or an A plus. So I have to keep you in that range, and I went to the bottom of the barrel for you. Only the best for you, Kuyper.
0: I appreciate your concern, pal. really appreciate that fault, <laughs> fake concern. But uh, I'll give you, Todd, a, a D plus 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 because that would be a, a push, because you're C-minus, minus, minus, my D++. We all kind of come together a little bit there. But you always talk about my stunts. You call them these Kuiper Dress stunts, right? Field, you'll love this. And every, all our listeners will love this. McShea admitted the other day on, I don't know what show it was, I, I, he admitted publicly that he pulled a McShay stunt by keeping a player that I think should be in the first round and is one of the best 20 players in this draft and could go mid-first round. And Arnold Ebikete from Penn Mm. State, a pass rusher, putting purposely at 33 to not put him in there just to spite me. So he admitted that I get into his head periodically during this process. And he tries to, he doesn't know what I'm doing, but he kind of does know what I'm doing. Okay, if you want to kind of figure that all out. And he also, I want to just know, seriously, Todd, on a serious note, okay, David Ojabo, it seems like he's these Big Ten pass rushers. You don't like Ebiquette. Ojabo, you have him way down with the Dallas Cowboys I want to understand to our listener. I want it seriously, why Ojabo dropping as far as he did. And also Ebiquette, are you gonna at some point agree that Ebiquete is worthy of being a first rounder or are you gonna to continue to do this all the way up until April 28th?
2: And let's just be honest, we both we both really like Ojabo. We talk to guys in the league, and it's like We love his potential. Remember, he was a soccer player. He was late to the game of football. He's still developing. He really came on and had one great year as a pass rusher. But when you study the tape over and over again, he's got a lot of work still to do in terms of certainly versus the run and then then obviously just continuing to improve his array of pass rush moves. I think he's a great player. I love his upside, but with so many pass rushers and so many great defensive players in this draft, I had him dropping a little bit, but I I really like a, a job. I really do. I, I think he belongs in the first round, and, and I think most people in the league agree with that, but maybe not in that top 10 to 15 range. Like Originally, I think I had him in that, the first mock 1.0. Oh, uh, Emma was that was your stunt, and I was just staying, staying level with it. I'm, all I'm doing is staying true to my board. I've got him at 33 overall, and yes, I made the joke. I, I put him in 33 in a 32-man mock draft. But my point was, I think he's somewhere in that 33 to probably 40 range in this class. You watch him at the senior bowl, yeah, he's, he's a really good player, but he didn't jump out. He doesn't have the, the exceptional tools like some of these other guys. You, you know, short. he's a little bit shorter. He's he's long arms for a shorter frame. But he's just, to me, he's, he's that late first, early second, which is where I've had him, by the way. And you had him in like the ninth round. In this draft back in September, October. I had him in the second round and I've had him there the whole way through. I studied his tape early on and I loved him. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm crazy because I haven't seen any other people, you know, rank him that high. When I talked to people in the league, they were kind of wishy-washy on, it. yeah, could he's really played well, maybe he's a second, third rounder, but then you pull the Kuiper stunt and move him up in the middle of the first. And I'm sure Mach 2.2.0 you were before I gave you this whole whole rant. You were going to move him down a little bit, but now you're probably going to move him up a spot or two and go all in on it. And I got it. That's how you, that's how you do, Kuiper. But ultimately, when we come to that final mock draft, he's not going to be in your top 15. I can just write that down right now. Feel. Write it down. Note it. For the, the first draft podcast a week, the, the, the day after the draft that we do it, I guarantee Kuiper's not going to have Epig- Epikati from Penn State in his top 15 picks.
0: Well, let me just say this, Todd. It was a lot to work through there. I mean, you're all over the place uh, with that comment. But (laughs) I I will go to Ebikete, since you kind of be harping on him. You kind of went around about, you love him, you hate him, love him. I had him in the ninth round. I I don't know where that came from, the ninth round. But I I didn't have him in the top 15 in Mach 1.0. Did not have Ebikete in the top 15. Okay, just off of that. So I, you know, I'm not going to put him in the top 15 in Damak 2.0. It didn't have him in there in 1.0, and I still heard grief from you about that. So, but you do say he's a really good player. I did hear that. He's a really good player. He didn't pop at the senior bowl. Who cares? He played at Temple, and he played at Penn State. There's a ton of games where he went up against some pretty good offensive tackles, and he, he did a great job. So uh, you know, a couple of days down in Mobile, great. Guys, nail it. But let's not hold it against a guy who didn't, as you say, pop as much as maybe you thought others did.
1: I think my takeaway is that Epikete is either going to go fifth overall or in the fifth round. Somewhere in between. Seems like a reasonable range. Uh, We have our drafts submitted. We have our grades submitted for the mock draft. We're going to continue with some other mock draft reveals, including some social media reaction from the fans that went out there and read Todd's mock draft and, of course, had strong opinions. But before we get to that, a reminder, the first draft is brought to you by CSX, a growing Fortune 500 logistics company that has immediate openings for freight train conductors. If you're looking for a rewarding career, offering paid training at nearly $25 per hour, competitive benefits, and you share a passion for great service, apply today at csx.com careers. At csx.com careers. CSX, committed to supporting military and veteran families and their communities. CSX is an equal opportunity employer. All right, so I mentioned that there were a lot of people with a lot of thoughts on Todd's Mock Draft 2.0, so I'm going to try to get these... Reactions in threes here, Todd, if possible. So the Eagles, speaking of threes, had three first-round picks. You gave them to Kobe Dean, the linebacker from uh, – we had some – Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, so back-to-back Georgia players, linebacker and defensive lineman, plus mm-hmm. Traylon Burks, the wide receiver from Arkansas with picks 16, 17, and 19. The Saints at pick 18 had Matt Corral, but Jack Fritz at WIP says McShay has the Eagles getting to Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, and Traylon Burks' is mock draft 2.0 which would be an absolute home run by Howie Roseman, their EVP and GM of football operations there. So the people like what you're saying about Philly. You well, know, the Saints at 18, you have Matt Corral, quarterback out of Ole Miss. Of course, as things presently stand, New Orleans does not have Jameis Winston under contract for next season. And the Raiders... Wide receiver Chris Olave. Right now, the Raiders wide receiver group is led by Hunter Renfro, Obviously had an amazing second season this past year. Third season, i are say in the NFL. Darren Waller, a big part of their passing game as well. So, Todd, dig a little bit deeper and tell us more about those three teams and their various selections.
2: Yeah, I mean, the quarterback situation, first of all, thanks, Fritzie. I appreciate the, the love on that. And the only, I love N'Kobe Dean, and I know that he's not going to work out well, and everyone's going to tell me what he can't do in terms of his length and, and his size, and he's not going to run an Elite 40 time. That's fine, but I'm just going to trust the tape. This past year, that was one of the best linebacking years I've seen in a long time, maybe since Luke Keekley. I mean, that's how special it was in terms of what he put on tape. So I, I love that pick to him. To go to Philadelphia, they just need more athleticism. They need a difference maker on the second level. They need another pass rusher. I gave them Trayvon Walker, who and it could have been Walker there uh, to the Eagles. And I also considered some of the other edge guys, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. We talked about David Ajabo from Michigan. This group is loaded. So Walker's more on potential and power, where Ajabo's the elite first step. Uh, Jermaine Johnson really came on this past year after transferring uh, to Florida State and he had a monster year. He's got the length that you look for and the great hands getting under, uh, under offensive linemen and, and the way he bodies guys around. And, and then, you know, going wide receiver, I, I thought was, was the right move for them, but I, I really struggle with the, which defensive end, but I do think they need an edge. Matt Corral going to, to the saints. And I, if you remember, I had uh, the Steelers moving up from 20, I think it was to 17, just ahead of the saints to get, to get Willis, Malik Willis from Liberty, and now you've got Corral there. And Corral's a tough evaluation. Mel and I both kind of agree on this, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mel, but it's a tough evaluation because so many of his throws at that RPO game are within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Then also, you love his running ability and his competitiveness and his toughness, his ability to extend plays, but with that undersized frame, And already having some injury issues in the past, you're worried about him, the long-term durability. So that's the tough part with Corral because you love everything else about his game. He's a proven winner. First double-digit regular season win uh, season for for Ole Miss in school history. You saw the leadership. Everyone around him loves him and plays for him. And obviously, he's got a big arm. He can't extend the plays. And he throws pretty accurately down the field when he does throw down the field. So I think that fits for the Saints now. But this domino effect that we're going to have with the trades and free agency at the quarterback position could throw this whole thing out in terms of where the quarterbacks wind up going.
0: Yeah, I think the Eagles are going to be interesting with the three first-round picks. that they keep all three? Do they maneuver to get a certain player? I had Devin Lloyd going there. You had N'Kobe Dean. Devin Lloyd could go a little bit higher. I think he'd be a, a steal if he were there at that point. But one of the receivers, was going to be Jamison Williams. If he's going to drop into the late first, or you, you have three firsts, so you take a chance on a guy who you know is going to be really good once he's healthy, and you can wait on him to team up with Devontae Smith that didn't play together. Remember, he was at Ohio State, then he came to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Jamison did. Had that phenomenal year with Devontae. Devonte Waddle and company all moving on to the NFL, but you get him back uh, healthy, and all of a sudden Devontae's got some help there. Uh, I think that would be interesting as far as that particular situation. Now for Matt Corral, you know where does he go, number one? Is he QB1 by the time we get to late April? Because he could be, okay? Or he could be the third, fourth quarterback taken. I think more so third, because I'm like Sam Howell's jump ahead of Matt Corral. But he plays like he's 6'4", 250. We had talked about that in, uh, I think, one of the TV special, the Sports Center special last week, Ty, that he reminds me of a guy who wants to be Josh Allen, plays like he's Josh Allen, but he's not 6'5", 240. And I think that, that frame is going to lead to injury if he doesn't correct his overall attitude and change his overall attitude and approach. I love the toughness. I love the warrior mentality But you got to protect your body. And in the NFL, that's going to be a key for Matt Corral. Does he learn to do that? Adjust from the RPO system? The trajectory of his throws has to change. All those things have to be worked out in addition to a mindset to realize, okay, I'm going to be the toughest guy on the field But I also have to realize there are times when I'm going to have to slide down, get out of bounds, and I have to show the world I'm the toughest guy because i got to be here week after week leading this football team as their quarterback.
1: Man, what I would pay to see how each of the 32 teams stacks the top five, six, seven quarterbacks. I'd be surprised if we have much in the way of consensus. Let's wrap things up with three more picks and a little bit of fan reaction as well. As in Todd's Mock draft 2.0, the Titans who got bounced early in the playoffs. Wound up with George Karloftis, a pass rusher from Purdue, who in some mock drafts you might see them much higher. Someone says Karloftis is such an interesting prospect in this draft. This is the average NFL fan. I've seen him go as high as top five, and in some cases not in the first round at all. Can't wait to see how the combine shakes things up. Next pick is Jahan Dotson, wide receiver from Penn State. Going to the Chiefs, who seem like they could use some depth at wide receiver. And our buddy Ad Levitan says Chiefs desperately need to get Patrick Mahomes more weapons. I love this Jahan Dotson pick. Shout out to Penn State and McShay's latest mock. Last one is the Lions, 32nd pick in the draft. That acquired via the Los Angeles Rams. Sam Howe, quarterback, North Carolina. And Scott Jordan doesn't think there's any way the Lions can get quarterback at 32 when they can get the same player at 34 and it isn't like the Jags are going to take a quarterback at 33, in my opinion, I think their draft capital to move up, excuse me, to, I think they should use their draft capital to move up to get a top prospect. Wait until next year for that quarterback. All right, so a lot to dive into there, uh, Todd, but just, again, run through those three picks, and I think what's important to know that last one with the quarterback, as you mentioned this, that fifth-year option is extremely valuable if you do hit on a late round pick, late round. Excuse me, a late first round pick.
2: Yeah, that's exactly why I gave him Howell there instead of waiting to 34. Even though we're not doing a second second round mock this time around, so to me, if you do like Howell, you definitely take him at, at 32 and not wait till the early second round because you want that fifth year with him. And listen, I also agree. I, I'm not I'm not sold on Howell in the first round by any stretch. I have a second round grade on him, and I'm not ho- sold on the fact that Detroit's going to use one of these picks, the three picks that they have in the top 34 to go and, and take a quarterback. But if they do, that would be the right spot to take one, whether it was Howell or Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati if they fall in love with one of those two guys. And the reason I said, I just I think it fits with their organization. It's such a blue-collar, tough organization from top down. And that's the way they kind of rallied later in the season and started to win a few games and playing hard. And, and Howell's that kind of guy. I mean, he's just – he's a competitor. He's a tough guy. Uh, so it just – that fit for me. But I'm not sold on the fact that Howell's going to go in the first round. And I'm not sold that Detroit's going to take a quarterback in the first round. Carl uh, Aftis, I'll, I'll go back to that pick from, from Purdue. Tennessee could use another edge rusher. There's some other areas that they could attack. And this edge group is so tough where you have a guy like Carl Aftis and in some years could wind up going in the top 20 and still absolutely could. But I had him falling behind. You know, when you got Hutchinson and Thibodeau, as we talked about at the t- near the top of the draft, right? And number two and five, I had, had him going here. Then Trayvon Walker from Georgia, who's going to be a better pro than probably college production that he had. it. And, and then after that, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, David Ajabo. There's so many edge rushers in this class. That, yeah, I had him falling to 26, and I think the Titans would love to have him at that spot. And I'm interested to see what he does. I'm I'm told that he's a physical freak. He's a workout warrior. He's going to have a huge combine, and I hope he does. I like him on tape a lot. Sack production wasn't always there, but the pressure production absolutely was. And they moved him around. You love the scheme versatility. I I think Mike Vrabel would love to have a player like this that you can play outside on the edge. You can, you know, reduce him inside in different fronts and do different things with him. So Carl Aftis is is absolutely – I would say one of the top 22, 2022 players in this class, but he just happened to fall a little bit because we have so many edge rushers in this group.
0: Yeah, it's I think for Carl Laftis, finish. And I think a lot of that has to do with the teams. You love know, about Ohio State game. They will chip. They will do things to basically limit the effectiveness of a great player. If that's the best player on Purdue's defense, the, the teams like Ohio State, Ryan Day's not going to say, he's not beating us. The great teams in the NFL, the well-coached teams. there's a lot of teams that are super well-coached, that are all well-coached. Who's super well-coached will never allow the Cleveland Browns and Miles Garrett. Bill Belichick did not allow him to wreck that game. Okay, He was a non-factor in that game against New England. That's what happens when these teams know. You you got a guy can can ruin us? That's not happening. So for Carl he was the marked man going in, and teams knew, number five, we got to block, we got to chip at, we got to frustrate and get the ball out very quickly. In terms of Jahan Dotson, he's a true playmaker. He gets the ball in his hands, run after the catch, dynamic performer. Okay, Jahan Dotson, if he's there in the late first round, would be a heck of a pick. You can talk about a do-it-all type of player with a great attitude and a great approach to the game of football. Uh, James Franklin can't say enough great things about Jahan Dotson and what he meant to this penn state football team the acrobatic catches the ability to do dynamic things with the ball in his hands the ability to change the game just with one play in terms of the overall attitude of the penn state football team to ignite enthusiasm and get that team rolling he was able to do that if he's there for kansas city i think late first round and he may well be there uh, if a Traylon burks arkansas bigger maybe gets pushed up I like it better than Olave, but maybe Chris Olave goes ahead of him. We'll have to wait and see how that happens. But Jahan Dotson is a guy I think we can say when he comes into the NFL, he's going to be ready to go. He's going to help an offense immeasurably. And if he is a late first-round pick to Kansas City. Wow. Uh, Patrick Mahomes gets a guy like that so towards the end of the first round. What a pick that would be.
2: I just want to know, Mel, and I know a lot of people are listening to this and aren't watching it uh, you know, online, but – I'm dying to know, because every, t- every once in a while, you'll, you'll pick your hands up when you get animated, and there are papers everywhere. What, what do you got in your hands over there?
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Todd. That was a good setup. I, I did do my work this morning, and I got some guys. I got them right here. You want to see this paper? It's right here. It's all <laughs> over the place here. Uh, I'll start with a Z- guy you saw. Zion McCollum at Sam Houston State, right? A corner. Tremendous length, press coverage, he can turn and go, good feel for coverage, good ball skills. He had 13 career interceptions. He had 20, 205 total tackles and 41 pass breakups. I went to the Jacksonville State in the uh, uh, Stephen F. Austin game. Now, he wasn't as reliable a tackler in the Stephen F. Austin game, but I'll tell you what. When you talk about in the third, fourth round area to get a guy with his kind of length and his ability that he showed. He was getting three interceptions just about every year, okay, at Sam Houston State. And he was the kind of guy that y'all you know, loved his attitude, loved the length. That's a rare quality for a cornerback coming out who can also be a heck of a player. So I like him a lot. Let's go to... Th- Ty Chandler, running back North Carolina, really like him. I think in a fifth, sixth round area. When you go back to the games that I watched, Miami to Florida Wake Forest this morning, he was a dynamic, performed, went over 1,000 yards. I like the way he follows his blocks. I like the fact that he, he really strings cuts together, which is impressive for Ty Chandler. Cordell Flott cornerback from LSU. Here's a guy that did a lot at LSU. He had a a, a disappointing 2020, bounces back in 2021. He's got length. I like his awareness. His his ability, only one career interception, but the Mississippi State game, he was phenomenal. There was the Auburn game. He struggled some as a tackler, but overall I liked his willingness to come up there and support. Remember Eli Ricks. You had Derek Stingley Jr. Cordell Flott kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit, like him maybe as a day three guy, Todd, we'll be talking about. And I went back and looked at Cole Strange from UT Chattanooga, and the Kentucky game at left guard, he was outstanding. And this is a game where Chat Chattanooga New- Chatt- New got yep, a-, a lead in the fourth hit. quarter. Only lost that game 28-23, Todd. That was an impressive game. People say, well, center, he was, the, the snaps were off at the senior bowl in the senior bowl game, right? He hadn't played center. Minimal experience as center is primarily left guard. He played a couple starts at tackle because of injury, but this guy had 41 starts at left guard. I was impressed with the kid. As a center, he's a work in progress. He's going to be, obviously. He didn't play much <laughs> center he was a left guard exclusively and he was a really good player in that Kentucky game showed me hey I wouldn't argue with anybody who took him from the third round on uh this kid's gonna play and if he can develop into a center more power to him but he's a, a plug-and-play left guard in my opinion
2: I love you Kuiper. I mean I legitimately was just asking for a laugh you know, just to hear, like, I'm a mess. I got papers everywhere. And that was about three-minute rant you just went on. I, lo- I love it. So I didn't mean to jump in, Field. I didn't mean to kick you out of this thing for, for five minutes. i It certainly good. wasn't my intention. But that's why, that's why you're the best, Mel, because I can ask something silly, like what's in your hands, and three minutes later we get back to business. <laughs> well,
0: you went off script, Todd, so when you went off script, I went off script and screwed Field up because he was going to go to my off script comments that so were done with it, Field, so take it, pal, because I went off script. McShay led me in that direction, as he usually does. Takes me that a terrible road where I better do, redirect my whole, my whole attitude about where I'm going on my map. I never have a map in this show. I don't have any notes except
1: players, so let's keep it rolling, guys. <laughs> well, D- Mel, as you said, that was Mel's off script going off script, and we are just one step closer to this show, literally, just being a show open and the two of you going back and forth for 45 minutes. You don't even need me, which is something that some have argued was already the case, but we're learning it more and more today. We love Mel's off script and we love the fact that, as Todd said, it's literally just a bunch of pieces of notepad paper that Mel is scribbling on all throughout the day, probably all throughout the week. Old
0: school, right? Right, Phil? Old school, really old school.
1: But you know what, Mel? This is what I think is really cool about the off script is that not, it's not like you're going to go off script and tell us about Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson, right? You're going to tell us about players that we don't know their names now, but a year from now there's going to be a fifth-round pick that emerges as a key piece of the puzzle for a really successful team, right? Think about Trey Smith for the Chiefs this year, a sixth-round rookie guard who was one of the best offensive linemen in football. Now, he was a little bit more well-known because of his circumstances, but there are guys who make a major impact that are drafted on day three that many people don't know. But when day three rolls around and that player's name is called you or Todd, it's going to be on the broadcast rattling off their bio, their stats, their strengths, their weaknesses, their cousin's first name, where they got married, if they're already married, (laughs) all that kind of information that none of us may ever know, but you guys have memorized and down to a T. But as always, a lot of fun with Mel and Todd. And a reminder, First Draft is back not just next Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, but also on Thursday. We have two episodes a week, so if you're listening in podcast form, be sure to continue to hit that refresh button and check your feed come Thursday morning. For Mel and Todd, I am Field Yates. We'll talk to you guys again on this platform Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, leading into the 2022 NFL Combine.